All righty. Well, we're kicking off a new series of five solas, um, which I'll explain what that is. It's not my family. Uh, my mom's maiden name was Sola, which is kind of interesting. So I thought we were going to talk about my aunts and uncles for the series, but we're not going to. And you guys are as dead as the 9 o'clock service. Um, anyway, before I do that, though, last week we introduced some new members of our church, and a couple of them were on vacation. So uh, Clark and Rachel, right down. You can put your hands up. So there you are. Um, so there, yep, there you go. So it's exciting because as we continue to grow, we have more people who are saying, hey, we want to be a part of the team and getting involved. And these guys have uh, jumped in with both feet, helping with stuff. So we really appreciate them doing that. So here's a question. What, uh, what happens, maybe some of you guys have experienced this, maybe not, but you're playing like a, a board game. You know, a game you, you get around with your family members, right, and you're playing this game. And I don't do this a lot because... There's a reason why they call it a board game. But, you know, so you're sitting around and, and you're talking and you're playing this game, but then somebody new comes to the table. And they come in and they start playing the game wrong, at least different than what you... Have you ever had that experience? No? Some of you have? Okay. Some of you guys are already, like, beat red thinking about it. <clears throat> well, one of the games that I do play from time to time is Mexican Terrain Dominoes. Are you familiar with that? There's a, we got a picture of a look at that lady. She's all excited about playing... See how much fun you can have if you play the Mexican train dominoes game? Um, so it's a form of dominoes, and so we'll play that from time to time. And I had this situation happen. We went back to Chicago one time so several years ago, and my parents love to play this game. In fact, they go, like, they go out on Saturday night and hang out with some of their friends, and they play this Mexican train domino. And so, uh, so we go, and we're like, hey, let's, let's do that. So we started playing. And I, I put down a, a double, and then I, I put down, because right away you put a double on, you can put another one that matches, right? So I put that one down, and then the next round, I went and put another one on the double. My mom said, you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean I can't do that? She goes, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I can do that. No, you can only put one down. No, you can put three. You can have a chicken foot. That's what it's called. It's, see right there. And they call it, it's a chicken foot. No, it really is. Don't laugh at this. You guys obviously don't play this game. You can do a chicken foot. They're like, no, you can't do a chicken foot. I mean, Mom, you can do a chicken foot. So what did we decide to do is let's go to the rules, right? Because I was not about to believe my mom. And so um, she can't hurt me now. She's in heaven. So anyways, um, so anyways, so we read the rules. And I was going to actually read them out to you, but it was too long. I'll just give you the gist of it. And the gist of it is this. No, you can't put more than one domino down. You can only put one. It has to be perpendicular to it. You know, you have to do that. And then at the, all the way at the bottom of it says, however, there are some who also play, and say, oh my word. So you can't even go to the rules and really get what the rules are for this game. So if you're playing uh, Mexican trained domino, do whatever you want to do. Um, in my case, when my mom was alive, we did it her way because um, I wasn't going to disobey my mom, even at my age. Um, so, so with Mexican Train or with any other game, <clears throat> you can kind of have those issues, right? You can have those debates, and hopefully the rules will tell you what to do, but you go back to the rule book and, and have that. But when things are really important, like God, <laughs> like our faith, like salvation, church, the, the important things of life, things that make an eternal impact, then it's a little bit more serious, you can't just have what anybody says thrown in there, right? I mean, you can't 
You've got to have something that says, hey, this is actually what it means. This is what God really says about these certain things. You, get, so, you know, who has, so the question that came up about the 1500s, <clears throat> uh, there was a question that came up within the church at the time, at least the prominent church at the time, and the question was, okay, um, who has the final say as to what's revelation, you know, from God, inspired scripture, and who has the final authority as to what faith is all about and, and practice, and practice by that we mean, you know, how you live our, how do we live our lives? So this question came up in the Roman Catholic Church. So what I want to do is I want to give you a really quick um, history lesson, if I can, on how we got there. Today's, today's message is going to be a little bit more like sitting in school, okay? Uh, sorry, it's just how this one's laying out, but as we get into these other five solas that we're going to be talking about, um, it may get a little bit more entertaining, if you want to call it that. But here's a little bit of uh, some backstory, some history to this. So after Jesus Christ went back to, to heaven and the disciples, got, uh, the apostles got the church started, and then they, they died off, the church continued, despite persecution, it continued to grow, grow in numbers and you know, size, but also grow in influence. <clears throat> more and more people were coming to Christ. And in 313, the uh, Roman emperor, uh, Constantine, he had this edict of Milan. And what it was is that he was saying, hey, Christianity is now no longer illegal. Christianity is legal. You can worship Christ. And so this Edict of Milan states that. And then in 325, he calls together the Council of Nicaea. So what was happening is there were groups of people who were reading the Bible and studying the Bible and worshiping together throughout all the Roman Empire. Actually, you know, even into India and Asia, China, down into Africa. I mean, the gospel had spread out quite a bit. But within the Roman Empire, there was a bunch of different people doing this. And so Constantine thought, well, listen, the, the Roman Empire is actually falling apart. And so maybe since Christianity is about unification, unifying people, bringing people under Jesus Christ, maybe what we can do is unify Christianity and by doing that also bring Rome back to some sort of you know, strength, some sort of unification that way. <clears throat> so he, he started this, or he put together this Council of Nicaea, and that was the whole purpose of that. That got the ball rolling for what we know today is the Roman Catholic Church. Rome, Roman Catholic Universal, which was throughout all of Rome, which to them was the world at the time, and then church. Church. So you got the Roman Catholic Church that kind of got the ball rolling at that point. <clears throat> Over the centuries, what happened was they began also having uh, what they called their sacred traditions. And these were basically man's commentary on what the Bible stated. So they were taking what the Bible said and then they were saying, well, this is how it plays out in our lives. And, and today, the Catholic Church says these are sacred traditions. These are on the same level as Scripture. They said it back then and they were, they're saying it still today. And that also gave the Pope and the Magisterium, those that were around the Pope, gave them final authority on faith, what, the, what the, our faith is all about, and our practice, how we're supposed to live out our lives. <clears throat> Prior to that, people were centered on the Bible. Not that every church necessarily had a Bible, because not everybody could read, and the church wasn't as, or the Bible wasn't as, um, you know, today we can get all sorts of different kinds of Bibles with 
different translations. Even got like a Hawaiian Bible, uh, if you want to read the Hawaiian Bible, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, so by 1517, so now we're jumping ahead. So this was centuries of this developing and growing. Again, there are still groups of uh, pockets of Christians meeting together around the Bible, but the Roman Catholic Church, they had the political power. Uh, they had all that uh, social power that way, so they were kind of the church. Okay? They were the one that everybody kind of looked at as the, the Christian church. So in 1517, the Reformation begins. Some of you might be familiar with that. You have Martin Luther. All right, 1517, <clears throat> he gets the, the ball rolling. But it wasn't just him. There was a guy, a guy named Zwingli, uh, Tyndale, John Calvin, uh, these other guys. What they were doing, they were, trying to, uh, they were attempting to get the Roman Catholic Church to come back to the Bible as the, the sole source of revelation and the authority for faith and practice. So as they were doing that, and as they went back to the Bible to, be, to study the Bible, and to know the Bible, there were some other teachings that came up that they realized, oh, the Catholic Church says this, but the Bible is saying this. They went back to the original language, went back to you know, what was going on at the time, back when Paul and Peter and those guys were writing. And so they, they said, wait, there's some things that are not jiving with what the Roman Catholic Church. Today, we call those things the five solas. And so you have sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. The, the words on the left for those, that's Latin. So if you want to like, impress your friends and family, you know, pick those up and go to work tomorrow. Yes, uh, sola scriptura. And it'll really impress them, I guarantee you. But it means scripture alone. Scripture is the sole source of revelation and final authority. Then the next few weeks, we're going to look at sola gratia, um, which is grace alone. And we're going to look at sola fide, which is faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli, uh, soli dia gloria, um, to the glory of God alone. So these are, these are five of our faith, we call it. Uh, as we take Scripture and look at Scripture, these things come out. And so we've kind of wrapped it up into a little catchy sentence that you guys can all memorize if you like. And it goes like this. You got the next one there? There you go. According to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Kind of nice, huh? So just memorize that, and uh, I'm sure you'll be feeling pretty good about yourself. Uh, no, it kind of gives you a good sense of, of what we're going to be looking at the next several weeks. But here's the deal. <clears throat> this started with the Roman Catholic Church. And it's you know not that we're going to pick on the Roman Catholic Church. It just happened. That's what history was. That's where this came from. This is the Reformation. Um, this was what was going on at the time. But here's the deal. Today, we have that happening in other ways, okay? So there's other groups who call themselves Christians um, who have the Bible plus, right? Another book. So the Mormons, for instance. Uh, Mormons say they're Christian. We would say they're not, technically, because um, a church who's Christian worships Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we say, is God the Son, so he's, he's God. He's you know, always existed. The Mormon church would say that Jesus Christ was a man who became a god. All right, so that's not Christianity. That's some other religion. Um, but they have the Bible. They say, yeah, the Bible's important. But then what they've done, they've elevated the Book of Mormon to the same level as the Bible. They actually basically live life off of the Book of Mormon. But we also have other Christian churches, just you know, individual churches or maybe small groups of churches or, uh, or cults. And again, a cult, a Christian cult is one who takes Jesus and makes him something less than God. But you'll also have churches who say, yeah, the Bible, but then whatever their leader says, whatever their pastor says, 
that's also pretty much on the same level. They'll look to their pastor to tell them what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. Today we have what we call a faith talk community. And you see these guys on TV a lot. And basically this, it's that you had a Bible, it's important, but then we also have a word from the Lord. God's given me a word, you'll hear him say a lot of times, or I've got a word from the Lord. And then they'll go on and talk about something, and oftentimes it's not even what the Bible teaches. And so people are looking at, wow, God's speaking to that person. And it's this idea that it's inspired, it's revelation. So this happens all around us. So what we want to do today is, okay, we all agree that the Bible is inspired, so let's go back to the Bible and find out what God says about these other writings, because God speaks to this issue. And so we're going to look at what God said in the Old Testament, we're going to look at what Jesus Christ, God the Son, said in the Gospels, and then we're going to look at what um, God the Holy Spirit says as he wrote through Paul and Peter and John. All right, you ready for that? Again, so it's kind of a little academic here, so stick with me. Hang in there. Uh, the HVAC is working today, so hopefully it'll be good. So here's what God says. God speaks, is speaking to Israel. <clears throat> Israel has been um, freed from Egyptian slavery. They're going to become their own nation. God's going to begin speaking to them and giving them his commands, how he wants them to live and why he wants them to do that. He says, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So God's going to give them specific words, specific commands, specific writings. And no one is supposed to add to them. No one is supposed to take away from them. See, God knows all about us people. And he knows that the tendency is for us to go, go and, and take what he says and then be like, yeah, but what he really meant was, and then add to it. That's just a tendency of, of man. And so we need to get back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? What does God say? And again, there's a, there's a system to how you study Scripture. It's kind of a weird word. It's called hermeneutics. But it's, it's the system of how you actually study Scripture. And it's a whole idea if you take the original language, you know, ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek, which you can actually study still today, and you go back to find out what is the author, what was the author intending to say, what was the audience hearing him say, and then once you get that, you say, okay, now how does it impact us today? So there's a, there's a system to it. You know, when us pastors get up and speak, at least, you know, myself and, and the guys down in Freeman, I won't speak for everybody who gets up every Sunday, but that's what we're doing. You know, during the week, part of what we're doing is we're, we're breaking down the verses, and we actually do it on Sunday mornings Those that attend here on a regular basis. I actually take you through that so you can see that it's actually what God wants. But how did Israel then determine what Old Testament writings for, were from God? So they had a system of kind of, okay, some guy is saying this, or some guy is writing this, and some guy is writing this. What are, you know, how do we know? So the first is this, that the book had to be from a known prophet. So somebody who's known throughout Israel as truly a prophet. By that, uh, a prophet is somebody who's had to say something from God, and actually it's true. <laughs> it's, come, you know, it's come to be true. And so they had to have a known prophet. Secondly, the book had to uphold the faith in God described in the Torah. Now the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, the ones that Moses wrote. And so they hold to those and say, okay, this is, this is the Word of God. This is our... our um, our measuring stick, if you want to put it that way. And so we're going to base everything off of what we know about our faith in God from those books. And anybody who writes and says it's from God, we're going to measure it against that. And the ones who are from a known prophet who makes, you know, is consistent with this, they would then add that as their, their holy writing. 
Interesting. So this is faith, right? The authority of faith. And then the next one, the, the book had to regulate behavior in agreement with the Torah. So there's the practice, living out life. Is what these people are writing also then say, okay, this is how the Torah tells us to live, and these are actually backing that up. Well, then those would be included in. Then the book's authority came from its consistency through the revealed nature of who God is, his character and his nature and, and all that kind of stuff. And so as long as those things basically said, yeah, this is who God is, and it matches what the Torah said about who God was, it was included in. So the Torah was the authority. It wasn't what other people said was the authority. It was the Torah that was the authority that they based everything else upon, which then brought together what we have today as the 27 books of the Old Testament. So let's move on to Jesus. So then God the Son's on the scene. And what happened was, Jesus is going to make a, a clear distinction between God's commands, which are inspired scripture, and the traditions of men. All right? So the, the religious, the Jewish religious leaders, what they were doing is they were writing commentary, their thoughts, their ideas, based off of what the, the Bible says, the Old Testament says, and they were putting this together, and Jesus is going to condemn this. Not the, not, the, not the fact that they put down their thoughts, but the fact that they've elevated it to that of Scripture. So here's what he says. <clears throat> the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Now, what they should have been putting, if there was a concern, it should have been, why aren't they walking according to the Torah, to the first five books of, of the Bible, the law? but eat their bread with impure hands. <clears throat> so Jesus says to them, Rightly did Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, as inspired uh, words, the precepts of men. And so again, I, Isaiah uh, did what God said not to, or, Isaiah is saying they're doing what God said not to do. They're, they're taking their commentaries and they're setting it up as the same as Scripture, as inspired. So the, the word tradition there mean, is paradosis in the Greek, and it, just, it means a Jewish traditionary law, just these laws that they set up. So the, the Mosaic law had 613 laws to it. And what the religious leaders did from Nehemiah's time, basically, all the way to Jesus' time, at 400 years, what was happening is they were writing down commentary. We, today we call it the Mishnah. All right? um, again, impress your friends and family with that one. So they put all this, this commentary together, but the commentary was kind of like, okay, here's the 613 laws. This is what God wants Israel to do and how he wants them to live based on their faith in him. But we're going to put this fence around them. One commentator, commentator called it a fence. And the fence was so far away, in other words, they put so many restrictions onto the previous original law of God, they put so many restrictions on it because they didn't want people to step over and, and you know, sin and disobey. The problem is those things became to Israel and the religious leaders as sacred writing, as the same as the Bible inspired, this inspired text. And so once that happened, then the other thing happens, and that's, Jesus talks about this later on in this chapter. We're not going to read it. <clears throat> but what typically happens is when man takes what he thinks the Bible is saying rather than what the Bible actually says, and he elevates it to Scripture, to inspired word, a, a lot of times, if not most of the time, 
those things that they're saying ends up disagreeing with and causes us to disobey the Bible. So Jesus brings up one of those things. It's, it, it, what was happening was the, the, um, the Old Testament command is, you know, children obey, honor and obey your parents, right? Well, that idea of honoring continues on in our lives, even as adults. We're always supposed to honor our parents, and we're supposed to help our parents. We're supposed to care for our parents. It has that kind of idea to it. But what the Jewish religious leaders did is they said, hey, listen, if you call something korban, which means dedicated to God, then if, if you take all your possessions and wealth and you say, hey, this is all dedicated to God, then you don't need to help your parents because it's dedicated to God. It's for God's use. And so they ended up disobeying God's command of honoring your parents. Again, we look at it going, well, that doesn't seem to make sense at all. Yeah, so start picking some of these other man-made laws from other Christian groups and start looking at it based on the Bible, and you'll see that's what happens all the time. It's not what Scripture teaches, which, again, that's why we have the five solas. All right, so that was Jesus. Just a quick look at what Jesus had to say. We're going to move into the rest of the New Testament where God the Holy Spirit, now he's going to be leading uh, Paul and Peter and John and these other guys to write. But here's what he says. We're just going to look at three of them. So here's what he says. Um, oh, I didn't. Uh, did I not finish reading that? All right, go down to, to Paul. There he goes. Yeah, thanks. Sorry about that. So Paul says this. He writes this. Again, Holy Spirit is the one um, inspiring him to write this thing. He says, all Scripture. So it's not all religious writings, because we know there's a bunch of religious writings, but it's only Scripture is God-breathed, or inspired by God, which means God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, which actually means proficient, um, equipped for every good work. That word adequate is kind of weird, because today we don't think adequate is a real good word, but in the Greek it's a very good word. It means you're proficient. And so the, the Scriptures are on a whole different level than man's writings. I don't, it doesn't matter how religious the man uh, who's writing is. It, it, that doesn't matter because it's God speaking. Nobody is on the level of God. So the Bible is from God. God is speaking. Man can never rise to the level of, of God in, in his writing. The Scriptures, in that sense, they're, they're spiritual. They're, they're powerful. They change how a person lives. It's transformative in that sense. And then Paul also brings in the traditions of men, kind of going along with what Jesus said. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. Same word as what Jesus used. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What typically happens when, when men start giving commentary on Scripture, that usually causes people to be imprisoned by religion, by do's and don'ts. And we see that again through all sorts of different you know, Christian religions, Christians, Christian faiths. The difference is that, you know, well, Paul was a guy, a man, and Peter was a man. Yeah, and we'll talk about why that's important in a second here. So, Peter says this, <clears throat> For we, the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance 
as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am all pleased. This is the transfiguration back in the Gospels. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were in, with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. What he's saying is, hey, listen, what's different about we who are apostles is that we were with Jesus. He taught us. We saw his miracles firsthand. He, he is the one who gave us the responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit to write out the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible. So we have a prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. This isn't man throwing his thoughts in here. These are men who are moved along by the Spirit. All right? So no prophecy was ever made as an act of human will, but men who are moved along by the Holy Spirit. He, he moved certain men. Which men? The men in the New Testament were the ones who were who knew Jesus personally, who spent time with him, who taught by him. Now, just I'm going to throw this one in just for, uh, this is for free. Uh, I won't charge you for this one. Um, if, if you ever wonder, okay, so is Paul, you know, are these guys actually writing Scripture? So Peter says that Paul's letters are actually on the level of Scripture. It says, in regard, uh, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, again from the Holy Spirit, wrote to you, as in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, which are, are some things hard to understand. Now, if you've read any of Paul's letters, you understand that some of his stuff is really kind of hard to understand. You've got to really kind of break it apart and dig it up and really get a good handle on what's going on. So these things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. And so he's saying, you know, Paul's writings is like Scripture, it's, it's Scripture, and just like they do to all the other Scriptures, they do to his writings as well. And then the last one is from John, the Apostle John. He wrote several books, but he wrote the Revelation. Uh, and the Revelation, of course, is, okay, how is God going to bring all this world to an end? So it's actually in our future as well. And he says this, I testify to everyone. So this is out of Revelation 22, one of the, some of the last few verses. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what God said in Deuteronomy? All right. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the, whole, from the holy city which are written in this book. And so people say, well, yeah, that's just, actually you're just talking about Revelation. You're not talking about the entire Bible. Well, so yes, it is Revelation, but the Revelation actually is the, the, um, the ending of the whole story. You know, it's a, John is not just talking about, hey, here's just something that happened and it's going to happen in the future. He's taken everything from Genesis all the way through. This is the concluding book. And so if you're going to add to Revelation, you're adding to the rest of the Bible as well. And you're not to do that. Nobody is to be adding to that. So let me close with this one last thing. And we'll look at some takeaways. Um, how was it that um, the church then brought together these particular books, the, the 66 books that we have in the New Testament? I'm just going to give you an overview of this. If this is of interest to you, if you're like, yeah, I need to know more about this, I'd like to know more about this, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, at our Bible study, we're combining the men and women um, for July and August. So I'm going to be taking you through a little bit more detail. We're not going to get in. 
I was talking with Hagen about this because um, Hagen's been doing some extra reading on on uh, catechism, catechism, right? That, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we were talking about this yesterday. There is so much to this issue that um, that you got to kind of work through to understand. You know, just the whole uh, political world at the time, the culture at the time, the religious world at the time when all this was beginning with the Roman Catholic Church and that kind of stuff, um, and the disciples and, and all that. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a take some time, and I'm going to work through the kind of an overview of how all this was put together, all the different councils that went through all this stuff. It's pretty interesting, pretty interesting stuff. But here's how, here are the four things that those who are compiling the Bible then said, okay, we're going to kind of use these as our um, measuring stick. First of all, Old Testament. Well, the, the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people, the, the Jewish people of Jesus' day actually saw the 27 books that we have as the Old Testament. And so the church said, okay, those go. They're going to be part of our Bible. And the Spirit of Christ. The idea there is that God gave holy writings to Israel, to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. So it would make sense that he's going to give some other writings to the New Covenant, to the New Testament. Then you have the Word of the Lord. Uh, anything that proclaimed, thus saith the Lord. You know, anything that said, hey, this is from God. This is, Paul would say that oftentimes, right? Um, that would be accepted as long as it agreed with what was, what was known about Jesus Christ and his teachings. So if something came in, and they said, yeah, this is from God, but then they said, well, wait a second, it doesn't jive with what Jesus was saying, then they would kick that out. And then the last one is the apostles. And again, the idea there is, okay, these are the guys who hung out with Jesus. These are the guys that Jesus uh, taught. These are the ones who saw the risen Christ. Um, and so anything they wrote would then, of course, be brought into that. Um, and again, we'll talk more about that on Thursday night, because some interesting stuff. Um, it may even make you a little bit shaky when you start thinking about how this is all put together, but God's sovereign hand has, has done that. So, what is the takeaway? As the band comes up, let me, uh, let me throw a couple takeaways, a couple three takeaways at you. First one is this. Trust that God has given us everything we need in the Bible. All right? God doesn't need man's help. We have everything. Peter writes in 2 Peter, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life. So there's the faith, you know, and godliness, how we're supposed to live out our lives. Through the true knowledge of him, Jesus Christ, who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, which are only found in the Bible. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, in other words, have God's Holy Spirit in you, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. And so we have everything we need in the scriptures. Everyone agrees that the scriptures are inspired, so let's start there and let's, let's Pull from there what God has to say. The second thing, check all your teaching that you listen to against the Bible, including mine. All right? I, I don't ever want to hear somebody say, you know, they're out having a discussion, a religious discussion with somebody, and they, yeah, well, Pastor Harold says, my church says, no, 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 no. Don't go say what Pastor Harold says. Don't go say this is what my church says. Know what the Bible says and say the Bible says this. Because that's, this is our measuring stick. This is where it all starts and is finished. So check all your teaching against God's Word. And then the last one is take the opportunity to read and study it. You know, last, yesterday we had our grow class. We took nine people through. Hey, how do you, what are some simple things you can do to study and know the Bible? Well, know it because God's given it to you. He wants to personally teach you. So take the opportunity, get into God's Word, take the classes that we put 
forward uh, for you. But get into it. Let God teach you personally. Amen. Church, let's stand.